like today I, I, I was talk, uh, t- texting, excuse me, with Chris Nassini and we were texting about UFOs and aliens. And then I started texting about ALF and then I started doing ALF jokes. And one of these jokes uh, relies on the knowledge that uh, who's the, mu- who's the musician? Philip Glass, Glass, G-L-A-S-S. Uh, yeah. So Philip Class, K-L-A-S-S, was a famous UFO debunker who has been debunked himself. It doesn't mean UFOs are real. It just means he did shitty re- and shoddy research, but he was very vocal about UFOs not being real. Mm-hmm. So one of the ALF one-liners, because I was going through different ALF sex jokes uh, with different uh, UFO names, but one of them was, Mrs. Arkmonic, I wouldn't fuck that bitch with Philip Class's dick. That was one of the ALF jokes. <laughs> I, I said, and I'm like, why am I doing this? Followed by, I kill me, I think, because that's what Alf says. And it's not funny. It's really not funny. Hey, everyone ever, and welcome to 20th Century Popcast, the show where we try to understand the present while living in the past. My name is Tim Blevins. And I'm Bob Canning. And I stumbled over my last name. I don't know how audible that was, but I got a little tongue-tied at the end of Blevins. Also, I just noticed that, not just noticed, I'm saying I do it every time. Whenever I do this introduction, whenever we segue into the Hey Everyone Ever, I take my left hand and I put it on the outside of the uh, headphone over my ear. (laughs) Because I think that's what announcers do on game shows. I do that. (laughs) And then as I'm saying it. Was that? Like the, the guy, guy I'm laughing, right? Well, I hope there's someone else. Does, but yeah, the guy I'm laughing. And I think the reason I stumbled is I probably looked over and I was like, oh, that's my hand. And I was probably thinking, what the fuck am I, why am I doing that? Why am I doing that? So I think I do it every time, though, because it felt natural. You know, like there must be motions you do right. every time. Um, welcome back, Tim. Thanks, Bob. But no, every time um, you start the show. I wasn't here last show. Just seeing if you're going to jump in. Well, I'm just waiting for a pause. Welcome back, Tim. Thank you, Bob. It's nice to be back. Really nice to have you back. Yes, but I have have a question for you. Okay. Uh, What is your grading? What is your critique of my grading? Yeah, the grade that you would give me for my opening uh, in the episode that you were absent from. In the previous episode with you and Brent uh, Simons, the episode that influenced today's episode. That that episode, the episode where at the start of the episode you did an impression, that episode? Is that the one? Um, There's a slight impression. You call it an impression? I I didn't consciously do an impression. Of the host. I was not on the uh, previous show, as you just said, but boy, did it sound like I was. Really? Uh, um, there was a small impression of me at the beginning. Um, is that what you're... And I feel like that that certainly helps. I you I seemed, was not consciously doing an impression of you. Really? I was I was, was doing your, I, I guess, inflections, perhaps. Maybe. Maybe. I was well, following that, that's what an impression the cadence is, by the way. Fred Travelina isn't living in the you, White House that during you would the 80s. Normally He's doing the inflections with. of the president. I'm talking right through you. I'm sorry. I was purposely also talking through you. Because you heard Fred Travelina. <laughs> I did not like, want to hear any more after that. Out of that. What's weird is I said Fred Travelina, but I was thinking of Rich Little. That was the image in my head. Actually, I was thinking Ronald Reagan, but I said <laughs> Ronald Reagan. Um, what did I think? What, how, you want me to critique it? Is that? I was just curious. I mean, that was one I know, of the, you was, know, I was very nervous not to no. not to have you at my side there. So. so you want me to critique it on the air, even though off the air or whatever you call it when you record a podcast. Just I a grade. We don't even it. have to get into it. B, a B grade. plus, oh. A minus. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, <laughs> good memory, bad memory. No, um, yeah, yeah, it it was what? It was a really good like. Oh, thanks. B plus. I was nervous. B is a good B. I think. I'll take it. I'll take a you good B. You sounded great. It was a good introduction. I was envious of that episode, and I wish I had been there. And your introduction was was good. It was a good, and you were good at it. It, All right. it was good. It did it. It was what a what an introduction is. You know, it started the show. The show Perfect. knew where it started, and then it kept going. And we're going to keep the show going. Began. Yeah. No. So. Was that good? What, yeah. what do you, why don't you grade that? How was no, that? No, that was great. It's good like to have you back. Oh, thank you. It's, it's been a little bit. I mean, we it's been two weeks by the time this goes up since since we aired. Um, the episode that Bob and I, that you and I are, are discussing for anyone who for some reason is just listening to this episode, um, well, why don't you say, what what is the episode we're, we're talking about? What, what, what preceded this episode that inherently inspired what this episode is going to be about? That's horrible. Oh, That's no, no. It made complete intro. sense. Uh, we did a our very first Popcorn episode uh, where our special guest, Brent Simons, and I debated and argued over which uh, Harrison Ford character mm-hmm. was the better character between Han Solo and uh, Indiana Jones. Yeah, and to my surprise, because had I been on that episode, had I been partaking in that, as a moderator, obviously different, I would have taken Han Solo's side. I I would have also defended Han Solo over Indiana Jones. And so at the end of that episode, you opened it up to have our listeners uh, respond, have our listeners write in to see who won the, 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 the debate. Is it Han Solo? Is it? Indiana Jones, and that would decide the topic of today's episode. And I was surprised that um, Han Solo lost, actually. That surprised you after my compelling arguments? Uh, Yes, yes, your compelling arguments for... I don't know if that's what it was. No, I, I think you're right. That was unfair. I, uh, Han Solo I, is who I thought was going to win. I thought for sure he would win. He would be the big winner in our big arbitrary poll. I was surprised <laughs> um, that he did it because, again, I would have gone for Han Solo because that's, that is the character I adored growing up. I liked Indiana Jones, um, as did the small number of people who voted uh, slightly more than the slightly smaller number of people who voted for Solo. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I I was, like, I guess if people were going off the arguments, then that's that maybe that's why. Okay. I feel like people were just going to vote for who they liked more. And, and, yeah, I was surprised. But Indiana Jones, as you said, he is your favorite of those two, more than Han Solo. He's the one that I connected with earliest and mm. had watched the most as I grew up. For his, so, you watched his movies. You said this on the episode, too. I'm, I'm just retreating everything you said, or re, re, retreading, whatever the phrase is, because I wasn't there. You watched Indiana Jones movies more often than Star Wars movies growing up? Uh, yeah, I probably did. Um, that could be a factor uh, of my mother, who I think probably enjoyed the Indiana Jones movies more than I did. So if we had to rent something or if there was a choice, she bought – we bought uh, – one of the first things we bought was – um, Last Crusade when we Wait had because we didn't get you're, a VCR. You're saying she liked them more than I. Now I'm finding a hole in your argument. Then she liked these movies I'm more saying, than you liked these I'm, movies. No, no, no. What I'm saying is that I probably saw them more because she, coercion. She went out and would buy for. the the movies were in the house, whereas the uh, Star Wars movies weren't in my house. 
Okay. Uh, that never got purchased. Uh, and if I was at someone else's house, uh, I, Indiana Jones was on. If cable had Indiana Jones on more than it had Star Wars on, I probably saw Hardware Wars more often than I saw Star Wars, to be perfectly honest. We didn't put ham salad into the voting. That's true. He was surprisingly absent from the Harrison Ford uh, poll. No, that, that makes sense. And it sounds like he was more accessible. He was more present. And also, good movies. Good character. I, yeah. it's, I don't not like the character. I just... Star Wars is so tied into me and into my childhood, where Indiana Jones... He's there. He's definitely there. I mean, he's tied into, hmm, because this will be a good way to get into it. The outcome of the poll, this is not a good way to segue into it, but it'll be a good way to get into it. The the, the outcome of that poll was to decide what we were going to talk about today, because both you and Brent, in presenting your sides, also presented the key movie of each of their original trilogy um, to discuss. And the one that you mentioned, the one that you said is the quintessential um, Indiana Jones movie was Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah, Raiders of the Lost Ark. So today we're going to be talking uh, about our memories and experience with Raiders of the Lost Ark, a movie that came out in 1981. And um, before we get into talking about Raiders of the Lost Ark, why don't we take a moment to really think about that? Like, where was cinema, movies, and all that at? In 1981, like what? What? What did we have at that point? We had Star Wars, we had Empire Strikes Back, we had Jaws, we had James Bond. I mean, we had those movies. We didn't really have the action movies that I think of in the 80s. Those were still for years to come. But mm. but but we had exciting movies. Prior to Raiders of the Lost Ark, though, I mean, did we have like a good solid adventure movie? Is that something we had before 1981? Um. I can only think of Star Wars, although from my own experience, I don't even, I'm not, I can't recall when I saw Star Wars, so I'm not even Mm -hmm. sure if I had that prior to seeing Raiders, and I didn't see Raiders in the theater, I saw that well after. But they go a little bigger, like, do you think there were just movies even in the theater? Because Raiders is a big adventure movie. I mean, what was, what were people going to? Like, do you think there, I think Star Wars was an experience that was exciting. So you could say it's similar to Raiders of the Lost Ark. Empire Strikes Back, a little different, different movie than Raiders. But like, what were, yeah, what did people go to for good, good old adventure movie prior to Raiders of the Lost Ark? I don't know, Tim. Do you have any any list that we could rattle off? Because I I can't think of what people were watching in the early '80s when I was, you know, six. <laughs> well, I mean, but we've we know movie history. We're, we're aware of it. I and I'm saying it too because I don't think there was anything. I mean, there were James Bond movies, and those are action movies, I guess. Prior, not '80s action, but their own kind of spy espionage action movie. Mm. Star Wars was big and it had spectacle and it was exciting with with the spaceships and all. But Indiana Jones, this adventurous character, yeah, I don't think there was anything like Raiders of the Lost Ark prior to Raiders of the Lost Ark. And to say that now is kind of odd because that what I always hear, and you hear it in the making of documentaries, you hear it when people talk about it, is that Raiders of the Lost Ark was supposed to be sort of a a throwback to like adventure serials, you know, like Fruit Loops and Fruity Pebbles, but also like the movies that, you know, showed, I guess, in our parents' youth or maybe even before they used these old black and white, you know, right. adventure, jungle adventure movies. Um, 
But honestly, I, I look at Raiders, Raiders of the Lost Ark and I don't really see that. You know, it's an 80s adventure movie. Indiana Jones, I think, is an 80s adventure character. Like, I, I don't... Like, I don't think he would have translated well to 90s action movies. He might have played in the 70s, but yeah. I, I, I don't I don't necessarily look at him as... And again, I don't think I knew the movies of the 40s and 50s that they were basing it on. But, like, he still feels like a 1980s creation to me or example. Like, do, do you have anything, any thoughts on that? Like, the whole, this is a throwback to the movies of... Yeah, I mean... I- I think it was it was not just a throwback to those movies, but um, from my understanding, it's a throwback to uh, I think you said it serials. So there'd be like a short, you know, five to ten minute uh, film that they would show ahead of the main film, and it would be like I think it was like Buck Rogers was one of them, if I'm not mistaken. And I think Superman had some serials like this where you would go to the movies once a week. And the first week, you'd see this little short, which built a little bit of a story, led up to a sequence, and ended with a cliffhanger. So that would kind of get you to come back next week. Doesn't matter what the next movie is that they're showing. You come back for that serial because you want to know what happens to Buck Rogers. Um, And in a way, that's how I understand the movie was sort of formatted. So you have your segments where it's like your your 10-minute little mini movie where you've got to get your idol. And then... You have a cliffhanger that ends right at that moment, so you know what happens next, and then it leads up again to the cliffhanger, and then you've got your your scene with Marion that leads up to a cliffhanger with a fight in the the burning building, and then the next cliffhanger. Uh, so that's how I thought one it was structured. Story. Kind of, um, yeah, they're telling one story, but but so are those serials. They were telling one long story. They just did it week to week or month to month. I'm not sure when they came out. Okay. No, and I, and I get it. I, I do get that statement. I just, having heard that for so many years, I'm just like, I had no interest in the old movie serials. I've tried to go back and watch some Buck Rogers. I think I've seen some on Mystery Science Theater, maybe. Mm. And I don't, I'm not entertained by them. I don't find them interesting. I don't find them exciting. I don't find them, like, there's some kitsch value to them. The Buck Roger ones, I like some of the ship effects and stuff, because, you know, it's interesting to look at. But those aren't things that get my attention. So I guess I would wonder why, and this is a, one of the things we'll be talking about today, what, why why did Raiders of the Lost Ark then work for me? Because 81, I would have been five years old when this came out. I didn't see it when it came out in the theater, but I must have seen it on, I mean, I know when I saw it, I saw it on, v, on a VCR tape. So that by the time Temple of Doom came out, I was aware of this movie. Like, are you, do you have interest in those old movie serials? Did I already ask you that? Is that something you want to see? Um, if it's on, I'll I'll watch it. If there was an easy way to just lay on my couch, if I was flipping through Netflix and it's like, oh, here's a collection of shorts, I might check them out. Sure, you could find um, them on yeah. YouTube or something. But that's now too. Like as a kid, because I bet they were on TV as a kid. Three Stooges shorts were on TV. Maybe they were on TV. Would you? find yourself curious to see that kind of a story or that kind of, like even that kind of a story yeah an adventure in the jungle was that appealing to you prior yeah to this i think movie? i even watched i think i saw some superman ones um that they had shown at like 6 a.m on a saturday when i was growing up um pieced together um yeah that that was interesting to me i didn't mind that 
That was what, cool. What did you like about those? What was the draw with those? I think really just like you were saying before, the adventure of it. There's mm-hmm. A, it's Superman who you recognize. And I know it's not the Superman that I first was introduced to, but oh, here's another Superman. Um, but it's just, you know, a mystery that needs to be solved. Something's happening. There's a cliffhanger. It cuts to commercial for us. I mean, I guess, you know, uh, when they were first out, you'd, you'd go home and have to wait a week. Uh, to see it. Uh, so then it's just that excitement of what's going to happen. How's he going to get out of it? You know, what's going to happen next? Okay. And I guess Raiders does build off of that. You're right. There are sequences in the movie while telling a bigger story that I guess maybe create that sensation. And retroactively now, in retrospect, retro, 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 we can tell that. As a kid, though, did you have a sense that what you were watching was based, like, did you feel like this is like an old movie? No, I had no idea. Did you have it anyone was... around you who was telling you that? No. You know, my mother probably did, but I don't recall it. There's no moment where it's like, oh, here's my history lesson on cinema and Indiana Jones. Um, it just sort of became – I became aware of it probably in – high school, maybe even it was as late as college where I fully became aware and started, you know, watching documentaries or reading about Mm -hmm. these movies that I love. So in the 1980s, whenever you saw this, this was a movie of the 80s, purely an 80s adventure movie, possibly in my opinion, the 80s adventure movie. And it kind of stands of its own time, I think. Um, but to, to, to talk a little bit about this this idea of the serials, yeah, the movie, I mean, I think it starts off maybe more so with what, you, what you're saying. It starts off like an old-time movie serial, sort of, doesn't it? Yeah, I think so. I mean, you, you're the first segment's just a little standalone adventure. Right, it's like uh, a cold open sort of thing yeah. like you get now in like a TV show or something. An opening gambit. That's what MacGyver what? used to call it. Oh, an opening gambit. Okay. Yeah. MacGyver episodes, the first couple seasons would have an opening gambit where he would get out of uh, an unrelated situation that wasn't really related to the rest of the movie uh, or TV show. Um, And this opening gambit is basically unrelated to the rest of the movie, except that it involves uh, uh, his nemesis, Belloc. Yeah, uh, it's character. I mean, it introduces us to the character. This is our introduction to Indiana Jones. And... It's kind of an inconsistent introduction to him, I think. Hmm. Okay. I mean, you, How so? You talked, well, you talked last week a, a little bit about Indiana Jones. Um, I think either you or Brent mentioned this idea of failing up, and something we like about Indiana Jones is his struggle, is 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 his fumbling. Am I, am I, I'm not wording it properly, but is that was that part of your argument? Yeah, last that week? was that was part of it. Is that uh, the failing up? He's lucky. He finds himself in situations that. He gets out of by the skin of his teeth, not necessarily because of a choice he made, but just because something happened. Yeah, no, and I, I love that. And I think we get a lot of that in this movie. We don't get it with his introduction because when the beginning of the movie, we're moving through the jungle and we see the back of this guy with a leather jacket and a hat and these guys are moving with him. So there's this, obviously he's leading the group. There's this mystery of who is this character? I haven't seen the movie poster yet. I don't know who this could possibly be. There's a, um, one of the guys in his group pulls out a gun. They're going to shoot this guy with the hat and, the, and the, the fedora and the leather coat. So they pull out their gun. They go to pull the trigger. And we see, it's Indiana Jones, by the way, is the guy with this hat. We see him react to the clicking of the gun or however guns work, the barrel or something. So he hears that. He turns his head slightly. And quicker than the guy who is primed to shoot could shoot, 
Indiana Jones lashes out his whip, takes the gun out of the guy's hand with the crack of his whip, and does this over his shoulder because of the way that he's facing. And then he steps out of the sh- out of the shower, out of the shadows. <laughs> he comes out of the shower. He's got a little duck. He steps out of the shadows into the shot, and it's very iconic. It's a great it's a great introduction to that character. He steps into the sunlight, and you get this iconic, powerful shot of this character who just did this pretty cool kind of reaction awareness of his surroundings action. And as a character, we don't see that character again. (laughs) Like that's a confident tough, that's a late eighties action star. Sure. He's on top of everything. He heard the fucking gun. He turned around with the whip. He, that's not something I could do. That's a trick. You know, that's a good hearing. That's a trick with his whip. And I just feel like that's, that's adventurous, that's action, but that's also flawless. And 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 I, I don't feel like that's the character. So I, I rewatched this before uh, talking today, and I'm like, I do like that introduction, and it is an unveiling, but it's not, I don't know, like, that's not the character to me. Yeah, no, I think that definitely plays to the audience. You want to grab the audience and, and make them fall in love with that guy right away and root for him and be in awe of him. Um, and I think that just plays plays to the audience and it also sets you up to still root for him when he's fumbling and failing and struggling to get through stuff because you know that he has the capability to to get it right he's done it before but he doesn't and even tells us this later in the movie when he tells us i'm making it up as i go along he isn't that confident in fact yeah we start to like him when he goes in to get that idol, he's, he goes through all these booby traps. Like, it makes sense. He did some research. He's testing out the booby traps. He sees this idol sitting on top of this stone um, altar. And he takes out this bag of sand because he knows it's probably rigged that with some sort of weight sensor that when I take that idol off, it's going to trip another uh, booby trap. So he tries to weigh out the right amount of sand in this bag so he can swap the sand for the idol. It's kind of a cool scene. And... <laughs> he miscalculates like he gets it wrong yeah because he puts the sand on it alternates it and you see him kind of turn around like he was tense like he wasn't sure if he could do it but he did it and we're like all right he did it he makes this miscalculation and i think from that miscalculation on that's when we get our indiana jones sure because suddenly he's running back he's running from the temple and he doesn't care he's setting off the booby traps that he was so careful about he's scared of a rock that's following him <laughs> His friend it's a betrays pretty big him. rock. It is, but like he just, he seems so thrilled. Like, I, I like that. <laughs> and what happens is he gets out of it. He barely gets out of it by, he falls down. I don't remember where the rock goes. And he loses the idol, like yep. right there. Yeah. His, his, I guess, nemesis, you were saying, yeah, Belloc, this, this, this French archaeologist, this great character this time around, this character who I loved in this movie, kneels down and takes the idol from him. And that's a good cold intro because that part sets him up. It's not completely honest because of the opening, but that is a kind of our start to Indiana Jones. I just, this time around, I saw that turning point. So maybe that intro is a false false start for a reason because it makes the rest of this vulnerable bumbling around kind of funny. But I, I just, I don't know. That is the character that I like. The one who can't do it right. The yeah. Indiana Jones who can't do it right. And that's... That's the start of this movie, and I and it, it, I, I don't know. This is this is the best cold open of the series, right? Of all four movies. Uh, yeah, I'd say so. I mean, no? the the you seem hesitant. Well, the <clears throat> I like the opening to um, 
the shit. Now, uh, the Last Crusade. That's what I'm trying to think of. I, I mean, I like that one too. That's uh, but it's not. It doesn't have our grown up Indiana Jones. And so, yeah, I think this one wins out because of that. It's it's a nice little mini prequel, but um, yeah. This one's well, definitely But it's all, I mean, it, is it a prequel? It's the first time we see, oh, you mean The Last Crusade one's a prequel? Yeah, The Last Crusade. Yes. Well, that's true. We know the character, but that's the thing. Like, this movie, Indiana Jones in this movie, I love the character. Outside of what I just said, I guess, most of what I think about this character comes from later movies. And honestly, most of what I think about this character comes from The Last Crusade, because he's not much of a character in this movie. That's true, yeah. There's nothing... There's no history to him. There's no prior knowledge. No, I mean you get some relationships with characters, and that's important. But I just he can be—he's inconsistent in this movie, and I guess it doesn't really bother me except this time when I'm analyzing it. <laughs> there's, but there's you know there's there's not a whole lot to hang his hat on. He's charismatic because Harrison Ford, but I don't know if we get more characterization in Temple of Doom. Honestly, is our view of Indiana Jones like would he be this great character to you if it wasn't for the one we're not talking about today, The Last Crusade, this third movie? Um, yeah, no, I'd still be a big fan of Indiana Jones. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I because his name's not in the title. Of this one, this one is just Raiders of the Lost Ark. We're not getting Indiana Jones and the like. There, there's something different about this movie sure. versus the other two because we didn't know who he was. Like, do you remember this opening sequence from the first time you saw it? Um, yeah, absolutely. I it would it totally sank with me. <clears throat> I mean, it's different though because I came. I didn't see Raiders until after I saw Temple of Doom. That's right. That's right. So you had a. F- your sensation of Indiana Jones comes from Temple of Doom first? I suppose that's true. Yes, I had a sense of him. I knew the character existed. I knew Raiders of the Lost Ark existed. I'd probably seen stills and, and maybe I even saw commercials and just had it in my head. Um, but I didn't actually see the movie, a movie with Indiana Jones until Temple of Doom. I saw Raiders before I saw Temple of Doom. Not much before. Uh-huh. But definitely saw it on VHS, and I, it was exciting. So I knew who he was by the time Temple of Doom came around. I mean, this movie, I, I somehow knew the boulder. That's iconic, I guess. And so I knew that uh, action. What actually struck me when I first saw this movie, what kind of a, the thing that drove me in is the whole idea of the arc, this thing that he's going after. And after this cold open, we get introduced to the plot of the movie, basically, which is he's going on a quest for this mythical, possibly supernatural item. We, we see that he's a, a teacher. We go to the college where he teaches, and we get the setup for the movie there. And This is like 10 minutes in. He uh, meets up with this character named Marcus Brody, who is a great character in this. And that's the thing. Like There are great characters in this movie, all of who are basically just giving you exposition <laughs> yeah, and, and doing shorthand work. Like We get a sense of Indy's been at this college for a while. He has this friend that's been his friend for a while. We get between their conversation, we get the idea that he's this archaeologist that goes after these finds. Um, so we know his place as an archaeologist. We know his place as a teacher. We know his place as this, he's this friend with this British guy. It's fun to hear them talk and it's fun interplay. And then we get, you know, we get Porkins from A New Hope. The big <laughs> pilot is there. He comes in telling them how they're looking for this Ark of the Covenant, which is the item they're looking for. And, and I don't know, all of that sets the stage for a pretty amazing talk. In, in this adventure movie, their conversation about this item, the Ark, that's what drew me in. 
when I first saw this. Sure. That was fast because it's supernatural, I think. Yeah. Anytime, anytime a, a story, a supernatural story can can talk like that and make sense of it, even though you might not recognize names of places or dates or anything like that, but they are so convincing when they talk about it. That's always great. I love that aspect of, of anything supernatural, UFO, uh, have somebody talk about it and have it sound like it makes sense. Uh, is It draws me right in. And these movies set up a world where it's accepted that their magical powers exist, right? Well, I mean, I don't know if accepted is the word. I think it's something that's hopeful. I think that the Nazis are hoping it exists. Hopeful Nazis. Yeah, yeah, sure. I think um, right from the start, I think Indiana Jones is pretty dismissive of it. Um, so he is that because I was going to ask you. Do you you don't think he believes in? These no, things? I think. And again, I I you rewatch it. I haven't seen it in about a year, but I believe there's a line in that um, uh, in in that scene where he says something. You know what what happens when you open it? What's inside? And he says, you know, kind of dismissively, "Power of God" or something. Mm-hmm. Like like he doesn't whatever you know. Here's the myth or whatever. So it's like he doesn't believe in it. He doesn't have. He he believes that maybe it exists as this relic, but not as something with actual powers to it. Because Marcus believes in the Ark. Marcus Brody believes in it, I think. He's telling the story of its power. He seems to know the story of Tannis, where it's buried. What's weird in the scene is there's the Porkins and this other guy. They're representatives from the U.S. government. They're coming to for help because they want to, they want to stop the Nazis from finding the Ark, which means to me means American government thinks this thing is magical, that they're willing to put, like, I think at this point in the movie, you have, what is 1936? Is that when uh, Raiders takes place? Uh, around that time. Had we entered know. as a country, did America enter the war yet? Was uh, the country? No, I think this was pre-war. So, there's something in this plot where the government is, and this is what I think is interesting. So the, the government, the U.S. government in the world of this movie believes in its power, wants its power, wants, because otherwise it would be the Nazi armies are digging at archaeological sites. We're not at war with them. What would the country care for? So they're coming to Indy because they want to stop this rise of power. Why do you think Indiana Jones agrees to go after the Ark? Um, I'm not sure if he says it in the movie, but I always, my impression has always been that he believes these things uh, are meaningful. They're historical. And he's a professor of archaeology. And so he, his his mantra is to to save these things as opposed to having them get into the wrong hands and be destroyed. Well, and a name of a character we never meet is also involved, <laughs> and that's why he has ties to someone who is supposedly named uh, Ravenwood. I forget his first name. It was his professor in college who got lost trying to find this. So he has. Uh, that's what oh, I find I don't interesting. That part. You don't recall that part? No. I mean, I. I know that Ravenwood is is Marion. That's his daughter. I didn't. I had forgotten. I guess that he uh, had been a part of a previous search for the ark. Well, that's that's why he has to go to Marion because he has a, a an item that supposedly will show them where the ark is. 
So there's what I find interesting here is there's some character building with a character we never meet. We never meet Abner, Abner Ravenwood's character's name. We never meet him. He's spoken of as if we already know who he is. And I think that's part of Indy's motivation. And then there's also this idea of going after this find, this historical find. And what do you think of the Ark of the Covenant then as this item? Like, how is that as this encapsulation of mystical, supernatural power? Like, is it an Old Testament relic? Is it a Christian God relic? Is it just a magical power relic? Like, what did you think the Ark was when you were a child? Yeah, I just thought it was a mystical power type of thing. I didn't mm-hmm. connect the Christianity of it. I, you know, I wasn't uh, Catholic. I was barely Methodist, uh, so it didn't. That didn't register with me. Um, as but is as this, this movie Christian setting thing. up a world where God exists? I, yeah, it seems to be. Mm-hmm. If if this is what this this arc carried and did and was capable of. It seems to be doing that. So the the Ark is this mystical thing that the Nazis get their hands on. They have it in a box. And there's a weird scene in the movie towards the end, uh, before the Ark is open, where we see the big storage crate that the Ark was put in. There's a swastika on the outside of it. There's this weird sound coming from inside the box. And the swastika gets burnt off of the box. You remember this scene? It terrified me as a kid. That's the, yeah, so it's like the Ark is actively doing something. Why is it doing that? I always believed it was trying to hide itself. But the Nazis know it. They, they're the ones who put it in that box. They yeah. know that's the only box they no, have. I know. They're taking it. It's, it's not a smart answer, but that's always what I thought. <laughs> I thought you were going to say, it's not a smart arc. <laughs> but, oh. but it has some action of its own? Like it can... It's, it's a mystical, powerful thing, that arc. It's a, it is. But if it if it can do that, why can't it just get itself out of there? Like why 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 couldn't it have hit itself better? Like that, and I'm just curious. I'm just wondering now because that yeah. scene terrified me as a kid because of the sounds, because of seeing a swastika, which scared me anyways. But because it's like that that is when I'm like, okay, there's something bigger going on because no one's around to witness it. But that's the thing, except for the rat that sees it, no one's around to witness it. So why is it doing that? And, and did a Nazi walk in and notice it? And do well, like a double take and have to replace the missing swastika? Like I, I in subsequent it, viewings, I always believed that um, w- once I got past the fact that it wasn't trying to hide, um, <laughs> that it was just burning off the the basically the a mark of evil uh, because uh-huh. it is a a Christian relic. It has godlike powers, and God is supposed to be um, kind and and loving. And here is you know evil incarnate. And so that's how I've always kind of read that scene since. Why did it wait till it was opened to defeat all the Nazis? I I don't know how the Ark works. Do you think it could have, without being opened, have acted on its own and just eradicated people? Perhaps. Because I think that ruins the movie if that's the case. Maybe it could have only. Maybe it was only able to give them like a sunburn or something. It's, it's or only, like like take a tattoo off. Yeah, like if they had a tattoo. That that's as far as it goes when it's closed. 
Okay. So, uh, yeah. No, I'm just, I'm trying to get, because like, again, the arc to me was a scary thing as a kid in a fun way in this movie, but scary. Sure. And I was going to church. I'm not religious, but we went to church every Sunday and probably at an impressionable age of seven or eight, not quite knowing where I stood, this idea of this device. And because the movie does a good job of, of giving you a little bit about it, each person in the movie gives you a little bit more about the arc actually, because you've got this opening scene we're talking about with Porkins where uh, Indy and Marcus Brody say the arc was this, you know, box that was buried in Tannis that destroyed mountains, it destroyed armies. So you get this, you get a little drawing of it. So there's this mythic idea that, okay, that's what the Ark of the covenant is later on in the movie. Uh, Indy goes to meet a friend of his named Sala. And I like Sala. He's this, um, gentleman in Cairo who I think is just kind of like Indy's go-to for help. Yeah. And he gets a couple good lines, a couple good lines of dialogue about how the Ark isn't something man is meant to be found. If it's buried, it should stay buried. So you get this kind of foreboding buildup. And then eventually you get a scene, a wonderful scene, between Indy and Belloc, his his arch nemesis, where Belloc is saying, do you know what the Ark is? It's a it's a, a phone or something for talking to God. <laughs> so Belloc believes in the religious angle of it. So you're getting these little bits and pieces throughout the movie that build on the idea that of what this arc is. And I like that. Yeah. And so that made it creepier and creepier because you're hearing about it. You're hearing about it. So the scene where they finally unveil it and pull it out, it's a scary thing to behold. Sure. You know? and, and, and I think, I think it benefits from knowing some of the, crazier Bible stories of terror, you know, and some of the, the, the more horrifying, you know, like Sodom and Gomorrah and Lot's wife and all those kind of stories, getting that, that in a child's head makes this item that fits right into that book. It gives it more and more weight so that at the end of the movie, when they do open this thing up, that's a terrifying out of the blue <laughs> finale. Cause we don't get, we get superhuman, uh, feats in this movie mm -hmm. we don't get anything supernatural until they open the ark right like there's nothing really outside the realm of over exaggerated punches and strength in the movie before they open it yeah no i don't believe so so it and unless you count uh, him somehow holding on to a submarine for miles underwater well cut out of the movie he takes his jacket which I, and he makes like an air bubble out of it, and that's how he survives okay. in the water. Um, but that's true. Well, that's one of those superhuman moments. Right. But it's also something you can breeze past because I never thought of that as a kid. I'm no, like, he stood did. on it was my rationale. He <laughs> stood on the submarine. Yeah, they never went lower. But he just kept his head up. Yeah, there's something about unveiling this magical, powerful box. I mean, did it scare you as a kid? Were you scared of that scene? Uh, oh, yeah. That, that scheme was scary. It was scary to me, but it wasn't scary to me because of the relic, because of the religious aspects. Uh, it was scary because of the face melting. So, oh, so the actual effects. Yes. Now, before you saw the movie, so when they opened the Ark, spoilers, by the way, for <laughs> Raiders of the Lost Ark, um, when they go to open it, yeah, you see some pretty good effects. I think they hold up. You see all, you see a pretty spectacular light show. You see all this smoke and clouds coming out. You see these like wraiths or phantoms flying around, flying through people. Yeah. You see, and then you see this like angel and it is, it's an angel that kind of looks up, looks at Belloc, looks at the, the Toth and the other Nazi. And you see her face decompose or her, his face, whatever, decompose into this skull, this horrible looking skull demon. 
And then, yeah, one guy's face melts off, another guy's face explodes. And what are now kind of comical, but at the time were probably horrifying special effects. Going into the movie, did you know that that was going to happen? I don't think I did. No. Oh, that was the scene I heard about. Yeah. There's a face melting scene. I always heard about that. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's pretty powerful and it's pretty exciting. And it happens in a way that our hero doesn't do anything can't do anything. That's maybe what makes it scary is it happens and it would have happened anyways. <laughs> like Indiana Jones didn't have to be there, but he's smart enough to know that when they open the ark, don't look at it. That's what he tells Marion. And that's the thing. When I saw this movie, I was like, what? Oh, cause I kind of knew that scene was coming up, but hearing him say, don't look at it terrified me because as a six year old, seven year old watching this movie, similar to when I saw clash of the Titans, I was looking at it. So there was some horror to what I was seeing, and it added to this horror. It's like, you're going to see something you're not supposed to see. And I, that's a great kind of terror and a great kind of horror. As I got older, it begged the question, how does Indiana Jones know that? Sure. And do you have an answer? I was curious. Like, it must be something he researched, but he makes a jump there into believing in the supernatural. Right. Without seeing the supernatural poignant <laughs> but like i don't know i mean do you haven't you, do you have any thoughts on that no i, I uh yeah it's it's his moment <clears throat> you know it's been this journey through the movie where he's talked to all these other believers and mm. he got to the point where he had to make a choice do i believe something's going to happen or no and he chose to believe and to believe he had to prevent himself from experiencing what could possibly be inside this thing uh and so yeah, like you're saying, it's sort of this unknown. Did he do research? Did he know that maybe the the uh, the, the the greed of of the Nazis to want to see inside this is was going to be their undoing? So he had to not see inside of it, and not look. Um, where that knowledge came from, I don't know. But uh, yeah, that was a, a a moment for him to decide: Am I an archaeologist who wants to learn and discover, or do I believe that? There's something powerful at play here, and, and I have to look away. So is it faith that saves him and Marion? Religious faith? I, I don't uh, know if it's faith, religious faith. Like, what do you think it, he thought was in that box that I, made him think, don't look at it? I don't know. Um, I think he he just felt in that moment that if if this is real, and from everything he's been hearing— this might be real. We have to not look. Now, is that how religion works? <laughs> Everything I heard, if it's real, <laughs> I better not look for the faults in it. I mean, uh, that's, that's kind way. of what's happening there. He's converting. Yeah. He's becoming a religious man. Because honestly, <laughs> I don't think you experience that in the world this movie sets up. To experience that, it'd probably be very hard not to be easily converted <laughs> to whatever religion offered an attachment to that. And that's weird. That's a weird closure to that movie. It's a powerful, and this is why I'm like, I don't think this was in the adventure serials that my dad was watching as a kid. That's a powerful, clever, smart fantasy element 
to put at the end of your adventure movie. Because the arc itself could have just been this, they always say the fucking word, the MacGuffin. You know, it could have been a, right. you know, a MacGuffin, where it's just they're going after it because somebody wants the beautiful thing. To imbue it with this mystical power, maybe this has happened in other movies, I don't know, that is a very real power... And that would have actually ended the – Indiana Jones didn't have to be in this movie for the Nazis to fail. It's the argument that people like to bring up. Right. Because ultimately they're going to open it and the same thing would have happened, but we wouldn't get the cool movie without it. Maybe they would have brought it to Hitler and opened it and stopped <laughs> the war, but they did it on this little island. But it's an interesting story device. And it plays differently to different people. It played very well to me as a child because I was a little afraid of what was in the Bible because I didn't hadn't fully decided, no, this is metaphors made up by people at that time. So throwing that in the story elevated this movie because I feel like Temple of Doom doesn't really do this. Taking someone's heart out of the chest, that's creepy and there's no explanation for that. But the the, the religion, I, I was out of touch with if it's even a real religion that's being discussed in that movie. I don't remember what the cults are practicing. Right. Kali is that that's a real god, I think, and a real in a religion. So it's kind of like that movie wouldn't if that was the first Indian Jones we got, that wouldn't hit me the same way. But something with the arc, you know, having this arc in there yeah. with this mystical imbuement of power, I'm using words that don't go together. Um that really works for me. And it's weird because they repeat it with the last crusade. Right. And that movie almost doesn't need that at that point. Because those in that movie, we already love that character. I don't know if that movie needs the magical cup at the end. But this movie, I think, needs this capper, needs this explosive box of God finale to wrap up the story. And I love that. Yeah, you've got me, you've got me rethinking Last Crusade now. You're right, because it doesn't need it, that, that aspect. It's still a very – I like the ending, though. Of Last no, Crusade. I do too. It still I, works I, I well. like I like Last Crusade a lot. And I realize we're we're not giving that movie its due to talk about it now. We wouldn't be doing it justice. I love that movie. That's the one I've seen the most. Yeah, and, me too. And, and, and the one that really got me into him. But there is something. And again, you know, talking earlier about is this movie a throwback or not? That, that I feel like that was something new. That was a new thing to put into the movie, and I really like that angle. I really like that part. There's a whole sequence of this movie set in Cairo. You made the streets of Cairo scene. Yeah. So it's kind of like where the swordsman's fight is with all the baskets and everything. And and watching it, that is the weakest part of this movie. That is a fidgety, hard part to watch. And that is what this movie could have been. Because it's very cartoonish. It's very stagey. And this whole movie could have been that. Yeah, because in that scene, you have a Nazi monkey <laughs> who talks to a guy with a patch <laughs> who is basically infiltrating Indiana Jones, seeing what Indiana Jones does, and pays the price by eating a poisoned pit. (laughs) And unlike all the other Nazis in the movie, Indiana Jones never figures it out. They mourn the loss of this monkey. They don't know he's a Nazi, but he is. He gives the Sig Hale signal to another Nazi. I think you're thinking the the, the monkey is a a smarter, uh, more powerful monkey than he actually is. Do you know what he does in the movie? He goes from the guy with a patch in his eye who's working with the Nazis. Uh He goes from his shoulder after the two of them talk to find Marion, because they're after Marion's little uh, um, medallion. His sense of smell. Befriends Marion. What was that? He he befriended her. 
He knows mm-hmm. her scent and was able to find her. And continues to find her and, get, and infiltrates with Indy, gets taken into Sala's house, gets into all these situations. <laughs> and then he runs out. And the guy with the patch, who only has one eye, so his vision is half of what it would have been, is able to relate to the Nazis where Indiana Jones is, where Marion is, where the medallion is, based solely on what the monkey saw. That's preposterous. I don't, I don't, I've never believed that it's based solely on what the monkey saw. I think the monkey is this guy's pet. I think he's trained the monkey to do certain things. I the think monkey the, says, uh-oh, at one part. I don't, does he really? He goes, uh-oh, and ducks. <laughs> he's voiced by Frank Welker also, which is pretty impressive. Man. I hope I get to be voiced by Frank Welker before, before too long. We should all be voiced by Frank Welker at some I, point. I think we will. We'll all be Nazi monkeys voiced by Frank Welker, who voices Fred on Scooby-Doo. I didn't mention that because this scene is very Scooby-Doo. Yeah. Everything's stagey. It's going in one door, coming out another. Marion, who we will still talk about because she's a great character, yeah. hits a guy with a frying pan. Of course. Hides in a basket. And it's not a good scene no, for her. It's, it's the weakest part, like you said. But I wouldn't be surprised... If you were to look back at old serials, and this is maybe supposed to be an homage to how the women get in trouble in those old serials, perhaps. And maybe they wanted to do something there. Because it does stand out as sort of this unnecessary, weird, little mini segment where she gets lost. So if it's unnecessary, why do it? Because I think they're doing an homage. I think the whole idea of... And again, I'm, I haven't seen these. I don't have a history of it, but I wouldn't be surprised if there is like some sort of homage to the, the the fair maiden in trouble, and she has to, you know, it 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 can't be as adventurous and masculine as the previous segments, you know, fighting a guy uh, next to airplane propellers or going through booby traps, or you know, it can't be like that. It has to be a little more lighthearted because a woman's involved. Why, though? You're not a sexist movie. No, but I'm I'm saying it's an homage. I wouldn't be surprised. I don't know, but I wouldn't be surprised if somebody pointed out that that's how the women were treated in those But why do movies. that? Because are you going to pay homage to all the horrible race, racist stereotypes of those movies? I, are you going to pay homage to, to all the pro-war Americana of those movies? No. no why I'm would saying you choose that that's this? one of the things that they didn't feel um, – was as negative as those other obviously grotesque things and perhaps in their joy of those movies in their own childhood recollection of those movies they wanted to imbue the movie with some sort of segment like those i don't know because again it betrays the character it's such a poor filmmaking choice from steven spielberg who by the way doesn't make a lot of poor filmmaking choices he's a master craftsman why is this crap scene master crapman when it comes to this kairos scene i don't know i hear what you're saying george lucas is involved as well george lucas wrote and directed star wars sure and the prequels well one of them yeah and he wrote and directed star wars I've also wrote and directed a movie, and it was crap. He wrote and directed the most impacted movie of my childhood. And he came up with some great ideas for these movies and chose not to direct this. He gets a good pass. Sure. He's done a lot. But I'm, people trash him all the time. <laughs> Until now, when people are like, oh, we want George Lucas back. It's like, no, you don't. You just don't like Star Wars anymore, which is fine. Don't trash George Lucas because he's a talented filmmaker who did a lot of shit. And then Hollywood didn't want him to do anything but that again. Jesus. 
poor guy with his big ranch that has its own <laughs> McDonald's, probably, I would imagine. He just sits in that. A replica of McDonald's that he sits on, like a fry guy chair, and just eats burgers and takes meetings with droids that he built. But I, I don't see why... Sorry, by the way, that wasn't necessarily directed at you. It's just I'm so sure. everyone's no, no, everyone no. Goes back and forth on George Lucas to a point where it's like he did this. He made your fucking childhoods happier, and he helped make this character. And I'm just saying, this um, is a pre- I, I, from what I know of this movie, there's no baskets in the prequels. It's a pretty um, personal movie for the two of them. Um, going back to they the, both like hats. Going back to the the movies that they enjoyed that inspired them as kids, and so I'm just saying. And again, this is just a hypothesis that I'm pulling out of my ass at this very moment. That perhaps this is a more lighthearted, out of place sequence because those movies, which weren't directed by Steven Spielberg or written by George Lucas, um, had lighthearted moments with their uh, damsels in distress, and so perhaps they wanted to pay. An homage to that, as this entire movie is an homage to that. But they didn't. Like, they could have just made that movie. A movie, and I, I mentioned this you only because I recently heard of... I mean, I, I don't, saw the movie. I know what they made. No, I know, but you they don't didn't, know. They didn't you keep don't making... What I'm this... saying, no, no, no. I'm saying they didn't keep making that movie. They paid their little homage there. But the stuff that I love in this movie isn't homage, is, isn't an homage. The, the truck sequence, which is an amazingly exciting, probably the most exciting sequence in this film, yeah. bunch of stunts in a truck, in a truck. That That's not something we saw in those movies. That's not something you would get in a 30s movie. How are they going to do a truck stunt with that kind of camera work in the 30s movies? I'm, I'm, what I'm, I'm saying, saying is, I think they you have. could be right about the did. Cairo thing. I think really? they did. I don't think it looked that great because you didn't have the technology. You didn't have the stunts that you could do it. But you certainly had a guy on a truck. There certainly had chases. I'm sh- no, no, no. <laughs> they I'm had saying, guys on trucks in the 30s? I'm saying that I'm sure that you can find a similar uh, sequence not as well okay. done. Sure, sure. Okay. I'm saying what and I'm not I'm not shitting on what you're saying. I'm saying what you are, you know, this idea of the Cairo sequence being a an homage. We sidestepped a disaster of a movie then cuz this whole movie could have been that homage. I I think you could be very right in what you're saying. I also think it was a misstep to put that scene in the movie. Sure. That's the movie's biggest misstep. Sure. Because it's not the music I want to hear. The music in that scene is ridiculous. <laughs> it's not the action I want to see. It's choreographed punches with flips and stuff. And like, I'm going to punch you and keep it. Yeah, it's just, it looks like a dance. It's not the Marion I want. It really ruins Marion for a bit until she gets the guy drunk again. Like that scene just, that could have been this movie. And I'm glad that it's not. Because I think what you're saying is true. That's someone saying, remember these movies? This is how these movies worked. Everybody talked fast and nobody liked Germans or whatever it was. But it's like, we didn't just get that. We got something else, which is, I think, this truck sequence. Because I, I think the stunts in that truck sequence are some of the greatest stunts of all time. And I don't think that's ever been seen before. I think that's similar to the trench run in Star Wars, except it's a truck. The whole sequence is around that truck. <laughs> it's in the truck. It's on top of the truck. There's not many places you can go on that truck. And they build an eight-minute sequence on it. That's astounding. Yeah. And it's exciting. And it's also great because we get to see Indiana Jones stumbling in that action sequence. 
Like he, that's the line he has right before he gets in that truck is like, I'm making this up as I go along. He falls off the truck. He gets punched. He gets beat up. He also seems to really be getting a jolt out of smashing up the cars. He seems to be enjoying it. (laughs) And that's fun. And all that stuff's fun. And and even watching it, even here in my notes, I'm like, that's so much more fun than the choreographed Cairo bits. (laughs) Like, that's the Indiana Jones we want. Not the guy who learned the dance steps around the swordsman and knows how to punch people. This is a guy who doesn't know how to punch people. He struggles. He does do a pretty spectacular stunt of going under the truck. And all that stuff is so much fun. And we need that fucking scene because that scene, which is, I think, the most exciting sequence in the film, leads into what I think is the most defining sequence or scene not of the film, but of that we get of Indiana Jones. Because after that sequence, we get a little breathing room where Indiana Jones and Marion get on this pirate boat. Right. And he's all beat up and he hurts and he's sitting there and he's wincing in pain. And she's coming over to, to kind of console him. He doesn't want to be touched because everywhere on his body hurts. And we, I, we never see this in 80s movies or probably 70s movies. He's not indestructible. He's in pain. He's a human. He's not superhuman. I mean, sometimes he's superhuman, but this particular scene, with the exception of the romance part of it, because I, I actually don't want romance with Indy. I love Marion and I love their bickering. I just don't necessarily want to see them together. But this scene, I think, is the character trait of Indiana Jones in this movie why he works. I think you said this in your defense of him last week. We can relate to this to the point that they keep going with this movie. Indiana Jones loses at the end of this movie because it wraps up pretty quick after they open the arc with that whole sequence. He gets the girl, (laughs) but loses the artifact. It gets taken away from him and he doesn't seem happy. Like he actually looks, he's like, where is this going? And you see him walk out of the place with Mary and he's like, bureaucratic fools. She takes, you know, and she, she's walking with him saying like, let's get some ice cream or whatever she says to him. And he looks so miserable. It's, it's like, you know, in another Steven Spielberg movie that I've talked about in the show that I love is Close Encounters of the Third Kind. And there's something going on between these two movies where it's like the end of Raiders is actually like a defeated version of Close Encounters. At the end of Close Encounters, the character of Roy leaves his family to board that that ship, that alien ship, because aliens are bigger than family. In Raiders, I think what we get at the end, Indy would rather have the Ark. Not open it, but have it. Right. Our hero... And this, why I think I like him, our, our hero loses because he lost the arc. And because it's a Spielberg movie, we know that Spielberg, Steven Spielberg believes that there are bigger things in the world. And these things are bigger than other people. You know, there are other things out there, a spaceship or, or, or the voice of God in this movie or whatever, and that they're worth pursuing and at that point of his career, they're they're worth putting over relationships, over family. And I think it's interesting that we get that journey in Close Encounters and in Raiders. But in Raiders, although we had fun with it, the last shot of Indy shows that the chase of this movie was a loss. He doesn't win at the end. 
the, the ark gets sealed up in a box. Later, we, it's, I guess it's Hangar 18, and there's all sorts of items there. But at the time of the movie, I thought it's just the government is trying to bury it. That, that's, I mean, what a downer. Yeah. I mean, you get a triumphant theme, but what a fucking downer. You forget that. You don't ever really think about that very ending. Like, for me, the right. movie ends when the arc opens. You know? Oh, really? Yeah. Like, the ending always is that fucking warehouse shot because well, that the was warehouse like, shot that's always, the first I, conspiracy I ever saw I, as a kid. I know the warehouse shot, but that scene in between, that is not mm-hmm. one that, that I can recall immediately. I, I know it as, as you're talking about it. You do? Okay. So it sounds it, familiar. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. I know exactly. I can see it. He's got his suit on and everything. They're on the steps. She's looking great in her little fancy dress. Um, but when you think about the movie just in passing in my life... I never think about the fact that that's how it ends. I always think about oh. um, that he gets the the arc, that he wins, he beats the bad guys. And yes, I'll never forget the ending because that is iconic too, how it just is this vast warehouse of things. Um, but that in-between part, I never think of that because you don't want him to lose. You don't want to think of him as, as failing. It didn't come to mind until I saw it, but it's true because the other two movies – Temple of Doom and the Last Crusade, you know, he rides off into the sunset or he rides off on an elephant with a girl. And it's weird, though, the extra step is he gets, the, and again, maybe this, I don't know what it was in the script, but something in Harrison Ford's performance, something that Indy does is he, Marion looks great. She looks very happy to be with him. And they're walking down the steps and the music sounds, you know, leads into the arc theme, but then we get the triumphant theme. Like everything is set up like you did the right thing. This will be great. Get your ice cream. But he looks... Like Harrison Ford looked like when he did press in the nineties, <laughs> he just looks miserable. And I, this time is the first time I noticed that. And I'm like, I, again, yes, <laughs> that's, that's a character and that's a unique character for the eighties. And we don't get that character again. This is why maybe why Indiana Jones is inconsistent or maybe the adventures he's on are a little inconsistent is I don't think he wants to be with a girl at the end. I don't think he's as endearing with women as you said that he is that he's as kind i think he left her once i think he'll leave her again i think there's a moment of happiness there i like how they bicker but i think his focus is on the 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 quest an archaeology archaeological quest you know this idea i mean he does he eventually goes after the holy grail he goes after the biggest metaphor you can go after outside of something called a MacGuffin within the context of the movie so that is his passion. Last Crusade, he doesn't. He loses the girl. He rides out with his father, who he just got together with again, and the Marcus Brody. Like they ride off together. Like there's no romance that will survive this guy's obsession. Yeah, and and I think that's Spielberg. I think that's what Steven Spielberg was, and I think it's 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 heroic in Close Encounters. And you can tear it apart, but in the context of the movie, it's heroic that this character chooses the bigger spectacle over his family. And I think it's interesting that he explored in, in Raiders, it goes the other way. And it, and it works as well. And I, I really liked that this time out. I was really kind of shooken by that, like, oh, that that's a man coming into something. I don't know Spielberg's impact on the script for that scene or, or direction, but I'm just like, that changes the movie for me. I love that character trait. And we don't see that again. We don't see Indiana Jones lose again like that. He loses everything in this movie, like physically loses it. That's true. 
Yeah. Except for his hat. He keeps getting his hat back. <laughs> that works That's out. That's true. Do you still stand by your decision last week that Indiana Jones, or two weeks ago, that Indiana Jones is the bigger, the better character than Han Solo? Well, I think um, I think Brent and I both agreed at the end that it's really not an argument that can be won because um, they're just so iconic and, and so ingrained in our uh, in our youth. Um, for me, I'm just more familiar with Indiana Jones is what I'll say. And I just have more of a history with Indiana Jones. So, so yeah, to, to me, Indiana Jones ekes out a win over Han Solo. No, it's good. It sounds like you, like you're saying, you've got a history, you've got a connection. Yeah. And that's why, um, it is Han Solo. That's the correct answer. But yeah, that's fine. That's fine. Um, anything else? Anything else you want to say about the movie? Uh, no, I think I think we've covered it. I think we covered it. I've got some notes that I'm not going to read. How about that? Put those in the uh, show what notes. I will, bonus I made, notes. Well, bonus notes, show notes. I will read this part of the notes. The part that says, thank you for listening, everyone. It doesn't actually say that. Damn, <laughs> that would have been a good segue if it did. But I will say the phrase anyways. Thank you for listening to 20th Century Podcast, the uh, weekly podcast that Bob and I do. You can always find us online at 20popcast.com. That's the main website. You can check us out there. The most recent episode is always streaming, as well as links to all of our past episodes. We have maybe 60-something episodes now there for over the course of two years. Um, you can also subscribe if you want to get an episode of the show every week when the episodes drop. Uh, you can uh, drop there. I said it again. I, I, you know, I think I, I don't know why, but I did. Um, you can subscribe is what I'm saying on the website. You'll find links to subscribe to us on places like Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, um, Google, and, Google and Android. Google Android was the word I was making up. But you can find ways to subscribe. And if you do subscribe to us or if you do like the show or if you're listening to the show, we would ask that you leave a little uh, little review, a little rating on any of the, on whatever sort of pod catcher you listen to it on. Um, I know there's always a link where you can give a, a multi-star rating, at least on Apple Podcasts. You can also leave a little text review. Or if you don't like the show, let us know that too. Ratings, reviews, they kind of help us. They're good feedback for us. They also help us in the rankings. Um, you, can f- you can check out the show on Facebook. Like us on Facebook. I would encourage you to do that. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Subcultist. Bob, what about you? Uh, all the things you just said, and you can follow me at RH Canning. Bob, you're going to be gone for a week. I think you're gone next week. Yeah, I got a couple summer vacations coming up, so I will be unavailable, Tim. couple? Is it just one summer vacation that goes for a bit? Uh, I got a trip here and a trip there. Two different trips. Trip here and a trip there. Okay. Are you going to trace your little trip on a map with a little uh, little red <laughs> marker? Maybe draw a dot. You know, they only do it three times in Raiders. I, I kept track of it. They only travels three times. One time to an unmarked Nazi island. They don't even tell you what it's called. I'm assuming I'm assuming it's Helsinki. But it wasn't possible. That's probably where um, I'm going, actually, this summer to that unmarked island oh all right oh well, i don't really know how to counter there so i think we're done i think we're done but why don't you tell us a little bit more about your vacation plans and close us out with uh whatever you know about uh i think it's called nazi island nazi island no um that's i've got to keep that on the down low yeah but i feel like this episode's gonna be used against you at some point not necessarily from me but somehow somehow all right uh that's how things close i'm 
sorry, I'm laughing now because I'm looking at my Instagram and somebody was watching Legion, <laughs> which then flashes to a picture of Skittles. I guess Legion is brought to you by <laughs> Chewy Candy Skittles. And I would not have expected that. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have just turned my phone on because that distracted the shit out of me. Now there's shit out of me. I hope there's a spot in okay. there where you can cut. I hope so too, because I think I think the listeners will decide. <laughs>